The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, most of us have been taught that when we meditate... One of the things we might hope to achieve is an altered state of consciousness in which we feel elevated emotional connections such as bliss and ecstasy. And we also know that when we use substances such as alcohol, LSD, cocaine, crack, marijuana, narcotics, benzodiazepines, and others, we'll probably also experience an altered state of consciousness. What does it mean to experience an altered state of consciousness? Well, it means that reality seems to shift. We see and feel things differently so that the difference now seems more real than the previous reality. At this point, we may begin to wonder what is and isn't real. Seeking altered states of consciousness has become a national obsession to the point of a national addiction epidemic. But some of us us are seeking the same altered states of consciousness through meditation. Is this the real point of meditation? And if not, what is the point of meditation? And what is the truest state of consciousness? Well, this show, this show is going to answer these questions. So you want to be here throughout the show. We're going to answer every one of these questions as we go. Uh, so let's talk first about an altered state of consciousness. It, uh, anyone who's ever been high or drunk uh, knows what it's like to have at least the fringes of an altered state of consciousness where you believe certain things are happening that may or may not be actually happening. One example would be somebody who gets really mad at his or her spouse during a drunken episode. Um, And we say, well, I was just drunk. After you get sober, you say, well, I was just drunk. That didn't mean anything. Well, which state of reality is real, the mad or the saying it doesn't mean anything? Um, when uh, when, When we meditate... Many people often say that they experience bliss or deep, uh, deep feelings of peace, but then they leave the meditation and that's gone and the same insights they had during the meditation don't seem to be there now. That, uh, so which one is true? The deep-seated peace or the other state where we're anxious and worried and hurried? So, you know, when, we, when we're looking at what is consciousness, what is reality, we actually are looking at what is our perceptual world. What, is, what do we perceive? What are, of what are we aware? And so that question is very, very important. And, it, you know, if you ever took a philosophy course, we can get off onto that ad nauseum. We could, we could definitely be, you know, uh, I remember one of the questions in a philosophy class I took in college many, many years ago was, what is the elevator really real? 
all I know is I got up to where I needed to go or down to where I needed to go. And that's really all that matters. <laughs> so, you know, when, when, when we can get into, you know, what is real and what is figurative and quantum physics is actually proving to us that what is physical is also non-physical as well. So there is a, 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 a continuum of physicality uh, and non-physicality that we have to consider as we're looking at all this. But in terms of consciousness itself, there are many people out there teaching us that if we look at something long enough, it changes. Or if we, if we observe an object, the object changes. Um, quantum physics is doing a lot of experimentation with that right now. And I think that's important because what we're conscious of may also give or yield energy to that object that has may or may not have an energy of its own. But certainly what we're do, adding to that energy by observing it might be making a difference. So we need to be paying attention to that. And there are people out there who are teaching us if, if we if we keep ourselves in a positive, what they call a positive state of mind or a positive state of consciousness, then we will attract those things we want in the same way that quantum physics says that when we observe an object, the object changes. So uh, is that really true? Can we get everything we want by just focusing on the positive and what we want and really believing that we're going to have that? Well, that question is still up for grabs, and if you've been listening to this show for very long, you know I've written a book about that called The Law of Attraction, The Soul's Answer to Why It Is Not Working and How It Can. And in that book, what what we discover is that the old understanding of the law of attraction, which was that if we thought positive thoughts and refused to think any negative thoughts and worked our vision boards, we would get everything we wanted. And the people who didn't get everything they wanted by doing that work just weren't working it right. And uh, it's kind of like a mechanical machine. But actually, that's a kind of manipulation of the universe where the universe has no energy of its own. And, uh, and so we, we make the assumption that we can bargain with the universe. If I do these things, then the universe will give me what I want. Um, but it doesn't always work that way. And what we discovered through that book is that, yes, there is a law of attraction, but it is that we are attracted to and by and uh, all of those things people, places, events, and circumstances that will bring us into closer awareness or more full awareness of who we are as divine beings. So that's really that what this all is all about. Now, there are also people out there, and you know of them, who, are, who have used um, things like LSD to experiment with reality, with what is consciousness. And uh, some of those experiments, experiments are actually ongoing to this day, even though um, certainly some people got in a lot of trouble for it a long time ago. But um, I am not a proponent of using substances to gain a, uh, a, an altered state of consciousness, though I do know that shamans around the world have been doing it for centuries. In this day in which our national obsession with altered states of consciousness has become a national addiction, I think that we have to reconsider what it is that we're doing and maybe go in a different direction to find uh, that kind of bliss and happiness that we find chemically through a, a, a chemical change in our brains. So we're going to talk about that uh, today, a little bit of how do we make that shift. But I, I, w- I want to ask this question. Is an altered state of consciousness the point of meditation? Well, 
there are many out there who are talking about uh, how we need to meditate longer and how we need to uh, stay in a meditative state for hours in order to accomplish our goals and how we need to, um, you know, really just uh, focus more on the meditational experience to, to, to stay in that blissful state and how we need to not listen to the news and not uh, pay attention to what's going on that's quote-unquote negative in the world so that we can maintain that uh, state of consciousness in which we feel blissful. And I call that blissing out, just like, you know, you could say somebody is freaking out or somebody is, uh, you know, uh, getting high. It's the same exact idea that the purpose of meditation is to feel better. Um, well, you know, I certainly think it's a side effect of, med- of meditation. We certainly can feel better. And uh, so I'm not saying that we don't uh, that's the that we should just remove that entirely from the picture when we talk about meditation. But I but I think that we're doing the same thing sometimes with meditation that we do with drugs. We get addicted to meditation in the same way that we get addicted to drugs, uh, in that we're always seeking that blissed out state, uh, that state, that high state, that ecstatic state where. We don't really have to live on planet Earth where uh, there's a duality trance state existing. Um, so, uh, so does meditation, do, do we get a, an actual change in consciousness or an altered state of consciousness through meditation? Very often, yes. What, that's what I call a download. It's like we get this new information about what is true and what is false in the world and then we begin to look at life differently. And that stays with us. That doesn't go. The peaceful feelings may not stay with us, at least not at that depth. They may stay with us on on some level, but not at that depth. And the blissful feelings may stay with us to some degree, but not at that depth. If, If we were to stay at that depth all the time, it would be difficult to drive cars and do calculations at our checkbooks and talk to our children and our spouses. And our bosses, but uh, but it, but we can definitely uh, maintain the altered state of consciousness in the sense that it becomes a download, um, so that we can have that information, and that information changes how we view life, and therefore it changes how we feel about life. So so that is definitely, in my view, one of the major points in in doing meditation is that we get in touch with something bigger, something more true than the, than the identity that we live out of or our current perception of the world. And we move beyond that, and in so doing, we are able to see clearer, like as if we were standing on the top of the mountain and looking down at planet Earth instead of under the ocean looking at planet Earth. And uh, I'm afraid that many, many of us are looking at planet Earth from under the ocean and at life from that same perspective. So what we want to do is, is to be able to, to um, alter our consciousness to the degree that we, what has been in the unconscious becomes more conscious. Um, but we don't want to just stay in meditation and feel good all the time, like we're staying high. You know, um, uh, if I were smoking crack, I could get the same bliss if I just smoked some more crack and smoked some more crack and smoked some more crack, which is actually how people get addicted. But if I'm, and, and I can do the same thing with meditation, I can just stay in meditation and stay in meditation and stay in meditation in order to have that blissful feeling. 
I'm not recommending that. In fact, I think that life is meant to be lived. And uh, if, we, if we are avoiding life through thinking that anything that is of, of the duality trance state experience is a, something we shouldn't have to experience, then we might as well not be here on planet Earth. I mean, I'm not suggesting anyone go out and take their lives or anything, but I am saying that um, that this we're meant to have this experience with duality. That's why we're here. And to avoid that experience, uh, and certainly I have tried to avoid that experience in my own ways, uh, but but to do that on a continuous, continual basis ultimately ends up with us being depressed, or overly anxious, or feeling just majorly out of touch with the living experience itself. Um, so I'm not recommending that we meditate longer for longer longer periods of time so that we can feel good all the time. And I'm not recommending that we think that uh, uh, watching the news is a negative experience or uh, watching law and order is a negative experience. I'm not recommending that. I am recommending that uh, that we that we can change our viewpoint of life through the meditational experience. So, sorry. Right, let's let's start with that particular perception, and let's go to the whole idea of the duality trance state, uh, which we've mentioned a couple of times here. Um, there is a guy named Stephen Lewinsky, uh, Walensky, who's written a book called uh, "Trances People Live," and it's a great book. I highly recommend it. And um, in that book, he talks about how it is that we can, but that be, being raised in our families, we develop a trance state. So what that means is that we sort of join the family in its, uh, in its perception of life and perception of family and perception of who we are and perception of who they are. Um, and we, we operate as if that's the truth. Maybe something inside of us way down deep knows that that's not really the truth, but we don't operate out of that because we need our family. And so we've, we've decided to give up on what we really think and begin to believe what it is that the family stands for or the sort of position of the family in its, in its emotional and cognitive structures. So... For example, if you have a family system where, and this is a real obvious example, where um, hyper-religiosity is the theme, where everyone in the family has to uh, operate a certain way in terms of a particular religion, be that religion Christianity or uh, Islam or uh, Buddhism or whatever, everybody in that family has to operate according to the philosophies and the structure of that particular religion. And if they don't, they're judged harshly, in fact. Uh, in this particular family for for doing that. Now, the most judgmental of all the religions on the planet is Christianity. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't have to be that way, but it is. And and the reason it is is because there's a good and an evil that's so prominent in that religion. It's also true in Islam um, and some of the other religions. But there are religions like uh, uh, the Baha'i that where we were there's not. Uh, there's not a good and evil structure that you have to operate out of, nor is there a Satan. Um, so that, that duality is what we're talking about. Um, 
and in in these fa- in the family system where judgment is very prominent, be it about religion or be it about how you dress, how you think, you know what your talents are or aren't, those kinds of things. Wherever judgment reigns in a particular family system, and it does reign in, to some degree in all of our family systems, that's the degree to which an infant and a young toddler is going to grow into that an identity that fits into that structure. So. Uh, so we know that what's happening there now, we, the studies that we've done, Bradshaw's studies on family trance and Stephen Walensky's study on trance state itself, have, have shown us that, uh, and Bruce Lipton's studies as well on the brainwave activity of an infant and a toddler and up to seven years old, shows us that we are very receptive to being hypnotized at those ages. And when we're hypnotized, we're not necessarily somebody sitting down with a gold watch and a chain swinging it in front of our face saying, look into my eyes. It's, it's more like, uh, you know, a constant sort of brainwashing where you're constantly shown by behavior, nonverbal body gestures and, and language, not nonverbal, um, intuitive, subtle, uh, energetic passings on of information all of that stuff uh is is what hypnotizes a child and the child begins to believe that he is who he his or her parents need him or her to be and so they grow into that and it's positively and negatively reinforced over and over again through the years and then uh one day they arrive in my office and they sit down and they say you know, I'm a good person. I take care of my wife or my husband and I take care of my kids and I do right things a lot and I I, I think more of other people than I do of myself and I, I would give you the shirt off my back if you asked for it. I'm a good person. And so they're defining themselves for me. They're saying, this is who I am. This is how I experience myself. But when you talk with them more, we things might emerge that don't necessarily fit that image of themselves. So what do you do with that information? Well, here's this information over here that says I'm filled with resentment because I'm constantly serving other people and nobody seems to even notice I'm on the planet. So what is that? That's some resentment there. Well, that doesn't fit into the paradigm of goodness. So what am I going to do now? I've got two different energies working inside of me. Which one is the altered state of consciousness and which one is reality? Now we're in a really uh, spiritual quandary. What are we going to do with this information? That's what we call an existential crisis, where somebody's coming down to, well, who am I now? And that's one of the most important questions we will ever ask on this planet, is who am I? Uh, And so when we're asking that question, it's a great opportunity for us to be able to meditate on that question and sort of sit with what comes up and begin to realize and understand ourselves as uh, more than just what we thought we were prior to that event. Um, and so will it also include that? Probably, but because that's a part of our experience. But um, what we tend to want to do is improve instead of accepting. And we're going to talk about that whole trance state in just a little bit. But before we do that, we're going to talk some more about the duality trance state, how it came to be and what it means, um, and what what that means in terms of what is really true and what is the truest state of consciousness. So we'll be back in just a minute with more about altered states of consciousness. You want to stay tuned for this. It's one of the most important questions we ever ask. 
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. All day long, we sort out clutter in our minds and bodies, all the while trying to find that healing modality that will work for us. Tune in to Inner Mission with host Patty Campbell. Each week, we'll explore a deeper spirituality and the healing process. Everyone has the capability to heal themselves. Let us help you find your capability in the hopes that you will pay it forward. Intermission Journey to Wellness is broadcast live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, a doctorate, or a ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a Ph.D., or a Doctor of Ministry, or in the Holistic Theology program, a Doctor of Theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are Holistic Theology, Holistic Health, Holistic Ministries, Metaphysics, and Parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and meaning, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. The population of students includes doctors, lawyers, healers, nurses, ministers, counselors, psychologists, social workers, nutritionists, herbologists, homeopathy practitioners, psychics, mediums, and many others who have a special gift but need to learn to hone it and credential it. 
It also includes students who simply wish to enhance their own profound spiritual journeys. What is most important to AIHT's models is the exploratory nature of studies that reaches to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu. Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today about what it is to have an altered state of consciousness and what it means uh, in terms of meditation and what is the truest state of consciousness. So where we've come to so far after we defined an altered state of consciousness is that uh, we can be entranced, hypnotized into believing that we are somebody that we're not. And we have all, many of us have done that. It's, it's much rarer for parents to raise an authentic child than it is for them to raise a child fully identified with some construct of the parent's world and uh, to identify with that and say that's who they are and struggle to be that uh, and think that that's who they should be, even to the point that um, a person with a quote-unquote bad guy identity, uh, a bully guy or a a bad guy of any kind, um, really has grown up believing that that's who he is. And in fact, he very often must, he or she very often must uh, perpetuate that by doing extra, extra, extra and more and more uh, extra bad deeds, quote unquote bad deeds as they, uh, as they grow up so that they can prove that they exist because our identity is how we believe we exist. And if we were to say to, to someone, let me just rip that identity off of you so I can show you who you are as an authentic being, well, that would frighten them to death because we believe that if we don't have our identity, we don't exist. And so for a bad guy, he's got to do more and more bad in order to prove he exists. And that's why when you see somebody that's a serial killer, for example, they're going to be somebody who will need lots of media attention because this finally proves maybe that they exist. Maybe. So, but the truth is we, we aren't really existing. We're not really being when we live in an altered state of consciousness, such as an identity. We're not really being here alive, fully uh, involved in the present moment. We are living out of a consciousness that's defined us a long time ago that has nothing to do very often with today. Very often I see couples, for example, who are arguing from their own childhoods. So the, 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 one partner is arguing from the perspective of you hurt me when you ignore me and the other part and that's based on the fact that he or she was ignored as a child and that gets triggered every time they perceive that the husband wife or partner is ignoring them and the other partner 
is is saying that if I uh, have to pay attention to you, then I'm playing caretaker. And so, therefore, I can't do that. And that comes from their childhood of having to play caretaker to parents. So they're arguing with each other and having this flaming fight about their own childhood needs that have nothing whatsoever to do with their current reality. But they can't see that because they are locked into that perceptual world. That's what it's like to have a, a, a live in an altered state of consciousness called an identity. So, so okay, when we're talking about identity, we have to go even further back to our very beginnings when we uh, were became entranced with this whole good-evil paradigm, which I call the duality trance state. So we've talked about the trance state that can happen with an identity. Let's, let's make that more global and, exp- and see how it is that we came to understand ourselves as separate from the divine and, and as people who must struggle between two polar opposite perceptual realities called good and evil. Um, and the people who've really uh, explored this uh, this whole paradigm of good and evil have begun to understand that there's really no such thing as good and evil in in their in a, in their purest forms. There's no such thing as good and evil. There's there's most of the time when people are oper, uh, operative doing what they do, they are doing it based on an identity. So that's what this whole thing is really all about. The duality translate says I'm separate from the divine and. In order to get close to the divine, I've got to be good. Or I, I'm going to rebel against that whole concept by proving how bad I can be. One of those two. Or some gradation in between. Most of us linger around in the middle regions of that, although not really in the middle regions because the middle regions would be more like authentic. But hang out in the middle regions somewhere where we're, you know, we're kind of involved in trying to be good because we don't want anybody to think we're bad. But really, we don't want to be too good because then we'd be, you know, everybody would make fun of us for being too good. So we kind of hang out in the periphery there and just kind of do a little good, do a little good to prove that we're still worthy people, and then do a little bad to prove that we're, you know, not uncool. So, and I talk a lot about this in um, the my latest book, um, Inhabiting Heaven Now. This whole thing about morality and where it came from and the duality trance state and, and how we got to that place. And I'm not going to go into a great uh, deal of depth about um, um, some of the metaphors that are, sacred in, that are in the sacred texts in the Hebrew Tanakh and the Christian Bible about how we came to that. You'll find it in the book and you'll find it in previous shows, one in particular called the, called Duality. So um, you can look that up if you want to. But But the main thing to understand is that we became entranced with this whole idea that there's good and bad and we're split off from the divine along those lines. The divine is good and we're bad. The divine lives up in this rarefied region with no suffering and we live down here in this hellish world where there's lots of suffering. And we have to somehow find a way to crawl up there and ask for the divine to please let us in. And that's probably not going to happen in some case. In the Western tradition, it's not going to happen until after we die. We're not going to have any real connection to the divine until after we die. But when we look at the root language of these texts, and again, this is going to be in the book Inhabiting Heaven Now, uh, what we find is that uh, the root language doesn't say that at all. The root language does not say that we're separate from the divine. 
Your language says we are one with the divine, and we've, we've lost touch with that through this duality trance state. So again, just like I talked about the couple who are fighting, having this you know, wild flaming argument based on their pasts that has nothing to do with their current reality, then what's happening is they are entranced with that. And in that same way, we've become entranced with this good-evil paradigm. So now we you know, watch uh, uh, The Hobbit and uh, you know, Tolkien writes books about this great e- struggle between evil, the, the ultimate evil, and, and good, goodness. And so we, uh, you know, we have this figure that we call Satan that is ultimate evil, and we, we believe God is ultimate goodness. And, and yet God kills and, and tells people to kill and does all these atrocious things, but we call that good because he's God. And Satan has, as uh, far as I can tell, no record of killing anybody, but we call him bad. So, um, you know, there's some real confusion there when we get to really exploring that. Most of us don't really explore it because we don't want to think about getting outside of our little paradigm because that's too scary. Because, again, we base our survival or our, our belief in our existence upon the idea of our identification. And we have identified somewhere along the lines of those polarities between good and evil. And so we live out our lives that way. And we judge other people that way. And we perceive all of life that way. And we, and we look through that, those lenses at everything. That's an altered state of consciousness. So what it would be a truer state of consciousness? Well, that might be more like getting in touch with the authentic self. But here's the big question. How do we know? How do we know when uh, we are living in an altered state of consciousness as opposed to the authentic self? How, how does the authentic self reveal itself to us? Well, it steps into the room through our emotions most easily. Most, most of the time, we become aware of the authentic self through what most of us would call negative emotion. That's why I am so very much opposed to this constant uh, mantra out there that we should not have any negative thoughts and we should not have any negative feelings because those things are going to make sure that we don't get what we want. And most of us don't even know what we want while we're saying all that. Uh, but so, so, so uh, like I said a little while ago, I've got this... Uh, we were describing this person where who believes that he, he or she has got to be a good person. But there's this resentment that comes up because I'm doing all this good things, these good things for other people, but nobody cares about me. Nobody even knows I'm on the planet unless I'm doing something good for other people. That's the only way I get to be noticed at all. And so we there's that resentment. And that resentment flies in the face of everything I believe to be true about myself, which is that I'm a good, caring, kind, loving person. I can't have resentment against other people. That's just bitterness. That's just ugly. That's just bad. You can't have that. And what do we do with that? So so we have to find some way to assimilate that because there it is. It's not going away. I've tried to make it go away. I've tried to get it to, you know, to myself to forgive these people. They just, you know, don't know any better. I've tried not to be mad at them. I've tried really hard, but I can't make this resentment go away. Well, here's the deal. It's not going away because it's got something to tell you. (laughs) 
And what it's got to tell you is that you're doing a lot of stuff out of a goal that you've convinced yourself is true, and the goal is made up of a bargain. If I'm really loving, kind, care, and and sweet to to people, then they will like me. Well, guess what? Your bargain's not working. Um, And it's not working because they're not liking you. They may use you. They may hang out with you when they need something. They may call you and dump on you some nights and you feel connected to them because you can advise them or be there for them in some kind of way. But they don't really like you. They're, they're just using you. So your bargain's not working. Now we have another stage of existential crisis where we're getting a little deeper into the possibility that there's somebody else living inside me than the person I always thought I was. And that person needs to be heard. So what we think is, oh, my God, this means I'm a bad person. Now I've got these resentful feelings. Oh, my gosh, that means I'm a bad person. And if I'm a bad person, then, oh, my gosh, I, I, I'm not even worthy. Maybe I might even start feeling suicidal at this point. Well, that's when sometimes people come to therapy and, and you know, we can intervene and go, well, wait, 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 just a minute here. Maybe... Your feelings of resentment are telling you something really important. Maybe they're telling you you're doing a bunch of stuff out of this bargain. So then we have to ask ourselves, well, what is, well, you know, how do you relate to people? How, if you're not, if, if you're not going to just be there for them, isn't that what friendship is all about? No, it's not, (laughs) actually. Friendship is a two way street, not a one way street. It's a, it's a, a place where you get to be you and the other person gets to be them. And you both support each other in being yourselves. And uh, you get support and love and, and uh, unconditional regard. So that's what friendship really is. What you got here, this thing you're doing, that's not really friendship. Not, not at all. So then we have to re- renegotiate that. So now we have to rethink, oh, I don't really have any real friends. Well, that's sad. Now I feel really lonely on top of everything else. Well, guess what? You've been feeling lonely all along. You just didn't want to know it. And the way you kept yourself from knowing it was by going out there making yourself really busy, doing all these really good things for other people so that you wouldn't have to know how lonely you really are uh, deep down inside. And uh, the question then becomes, have you ever really made a connection with anyone else that's valid? These are deep questions and they're difficult to answer. But if we answer them, then we can start living from that new state of consciousness, which is more true, that says, well, you know, I'm going to seek out things that make that feeling of resentment go away. Because the feeling of resentment is not going to go away until you listen to its message. It's not going to go away until you listen to its message. So when you listen to its message and respond to that message as if it has validity, then the feeling will go away. Not until. Why? Because our emotions have come to give us a message. They do not come because we just, they're just these frivolous little things that don't matter at all. They don't come because, you know, people say, well, emotions change. They come and go like the wind. Well, guess what? When the wind comes at certain levels, it can blow away a house. And if you don't want your houses blown away by your emotions, might better tune in when the wind is small. So, uh, this you know, these are challenges to the identity, the old trance state that we've lived in, the old altered state of consciousness that we've lived out of. So, what we're saying here, basically, is you can live out of an altered state of consciousness your entire life. 
not just when you get high or smoke crack or or marijuana or or something like that you, you can you can live out in an altered state of consciousness 24/7 your entire life until you choose to do something different and we're going to talk about that right after this break This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. With the divorce rate staggering in the Western world and a majority of men and women sleeping with someone other than their spouse, we need to look at relationships and marriage from another point of view. Listen for Contract for Love with your host, Lori J. Contracts are the best way to protect ourselves and our children from a society of broken marriages. You'll learn more about relationships than you ever thought possible. Tune in to Contract for Love every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave. In unified consciousness, we are all part of the spectrum. As individuals interconnected, there is no time, no space, just the all. Listen for Conscious Conversations with Joan and Janet, featuring hosts Joan Newcomb and Janet Barrett. Each week, Joan and Janet will provide new focal points for you to resonate with and explore. Their passion is to support your evolutionary growth and change. Conscious Conversations with Joan and Janet is broadcast live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. we're back talking today about altered states of consciousness what does that mean um how valid is an altered state of consciousness what is the point of it and uh, do is that the whole point of meditation we've already said that the uh the point of meditation is to get in touch with uh the deeper connections we have to something higher than an identity which is an altered state of consciousness we've also said that we can live out of an, an altered state of consciousness which is an identity for our entire lifetimes, unless and until we choose to do something different, which is typically when we have hit a, a wall, so to speak. We've run into an existential crisis where we just absolutely have to begin to ask the question, who am I really? Um, if this thing that I've lived out of is not really who I am, then who am I now? 
And that's, that's a really special and important time of life. It's a difficult time of life, but it's a, it's a very important time of life. And, you know, we can begin to ask that question through joyful events as well, but, but, uh, you know, we might fall in love with somebody entirely different than who we thought we were going to fall in love with. And, uh, that may change our perspective on life entirely too. So we may meet Mr. Wright just when we thought we were all wrong and, uh, Mr. or Miss Wright and, and then, you know, life begins to change and we slowly begin to in- incorporate a new belief about ourselves. So there's lots of ways this can happen. But the point is that we, most of us have, have, have identified with something other than who we are because we were raised in family systems that needed us to be that something other than who we are. It is rarer for children to be raised in a home where they are taught that it's okay for them to be absolutely who they are because we tend to believe that if we allow children to be who they are, they will be just unruly, undisciplined, wild, savage beasts, and that's completely false. Um, but we we have that magical thinking that we've had because we we have believed in this thing of disciplining and molding a child since since time immemorial because why because we have a duality trans state that is the basis of everything else that we identify with that duality trans state says we're separate from the divine and therefore we can be these horrible people if we just let a child go he's just going to be that evil person he actually is because we believe that at base we are evil people separate from the divine and uh or at least not not quite worthy to be in the presence of the divine, if not evil. So we're that that belief system is really at base, and it is that belief system is an altered state of consciousness. Um, so what is the truest state of consciousness? Well, that would be the authentic self. That would be an awareness of life that comes from a perspective that is grounded in who you actually are. Um, now, I can't define that for you. Uh, I could say, well, now here's this stagnant little thing that means authentic self. Let me put that on you and on you and you and you and you and everybody will be the same. Well, that's kind of what we're trying to do in our world anywhere. We're trying to make everybody the same in many different ways, which is a whole other show in itself. But, uh, but we, but the, I can't get, tell you who you are, but I can tell you a little bit about how you might be able to access that that essence of who you are. So now we're going to make full circle and go back to where we started from at the beginning of the show and talk again about meditation. So what we said at the beginning of the show was med- the point of meditation was not to just feel better. Um, there We are have a national obsession to the point of a national addiction epidemic with feeling better. Every, everybody, every, every commercial we see uh, has something to do with feeling better. And... Um, we are really just stuck on that. And even in our religions and even with the New Age movement and the New Thought movement and the Human Potential movement, there's a whole lot of energy still put on, don't you want to feel better? <laughs> and, you know, I do think that, like I said, that there is that side effect of meditation in which we feel better. But ultimately, feeling better is not the goal. The goal is to find out who we are. And that's something we can gain through meditation. We can absolutely get in touch closer and closer with who we are as beings who are not separate from the divine. And where does that go from there? Well, that makes us one with the divine. Now, 
I just said that. You don't have to agree with that. I would encourage you to make your own exploration and figure out what you believe to be true about whether or not you're one with the divine. But when you're doing that exploration, if you can do it from an inner perspective rather than from an external perspective, so there's so many different religions out there, and uh, they seem to all tell us something different. But as a student of the sacred texts of the world, I've learned that they don't all say something different. They all say the same thing, which is that we are divine beings who have forgotten who we are. And um, that's my study. Again, if you want to study it yourself and find out for yourself, I would encourage you to do that. But uh, that's what I've learned. And uh, in the root language of the Bible, Christian Bible, and in the root language of the uh, Hebrew Tanakh and Jewish Tanakh, and, and in the text of the Bhagavad Gita, and in the sutras of the um, Sufi sutras and the Buddhist sutras and the Vedas, there is all, all, a lot of energy focused on the I am as it would be called in the in the Hebrew Tanakh or the Jewish Tanakh, um, or the self no self in the Buddhist text, or the divine self in the Bhagavad Gita. So there's lots of different ways to call it, but ultimately it comes down to this connection we have with our deepest, most authentic self, which I also call a soul. Um, so that would be the truest state of consciousness. Now, how does a person begin to get that? Well, again, meditation can help us get in touch with that. If we're sitting with meditation and we're not trying to get meditation to go somewhere, which is very often what we're taught to do with meditation. We go to churches or we go to a place where somebody wants to do the meditation for us by giving us a language. Um, I I have attended churches where meditation was a major part of that and um, enjoyed that tremendously, but when the pastor or the leader of the meditation began to talk i just zoned out of that i couldn't listen to the pastor talk and get into my own meditation at the same time because the pastor's coming from his or her own perspective and they're giving you what they think might work for your meditation whereas uh if you just go inside and let your inside carry you to where it needs to go then we we have a different experience so what people say very often is, well, I can't get my mind to shut off. Well, your mind is not supposed to shut off. <laughs> you don't have to get your mind to shut off. Uh, but you can become the observer of your mind and, and the person who not just observes but connects dots. So on one day you be, may begin to observe that your mind is fairly constantly worried about what's going to happen with your job. And so your mind just keeps going there. Uh, on another day in meditation, you might begin to understand that what what is happening at a deeper level with that worry is that you're really concerned about how people perceive you. Um, and um, Or you may be concerned about security issues, which is a first chakra issue. Then you can begin to work with the first chakra. So you see, it can all blend together if, you, if you're paying attention and sitting with observation, not... I've got to push this river, but I've got to get in this river and float with it. And you know what happens to a river when it reaches a bank? It moves around the bank. Uh, and sometimes as it's doing that, it shifts the bank a little bit. Uh, so that's exactly how meditation works. When we just get in the river, when the river pushes up against some some part of us that's that's stuck or hardened, then slowly over time that river will begin to change that slightly. But also, it goes around that. 
it finds its own path. It doesn't need us to find the path for it. And that's how it is with meditation. And what we begin to understand with that is that, um, is that we, when, when we get in that flow, when we get in that river, we begin to see ourselves differently. We begin to um, perceive reality different. It's like once we were standing up looking at the river and now we're laying down looking at the sky from the river. And it's a completely different perspective. So uh, that's just one metaphorical way of looking at it. But the point is that your perspective of who you are changes so that you become more grounded in your sense of yourself and you begin to receive yourself as viable, as peaceful, as as a complex unit of all different kinds of emotions that are all necessary because each one of them has a message to give you about you and your life and your path. And, and then you begin to really begin to receive yourself instead of shunning yourself and telling yourself you're not good enough. So, okay, let's talk about that not good, good enough for just a minute before we go. Um, there is so much self-improvement literature out there. When I go into a bookstore, which I love to do, I avoid that department like the plague. Because uh, self-improvement literature shows us that we're not good enough yet. Um, I'd rather they call it self-acceptance literature <laughs> so that we're, we're not thinking in terms of how can I become a better person, which is what I hear people say every day in my office. They come in and they say, I want to be a better person. And I, I, my response, at least internally, if I haven't said it externally, I've said it internally to myself, is I would like for you to be a more real person, a more authentic person, more a person who is more aware of who you actually are. Not a better person, just a more aware person. And and so acceptance of the self means that I am where I am. I have come to this place through a, a hard journey, generally speaking. And, um, and I've done what I've done for reasons. The reasons have been because I was afraid of not surviving. I'm afraid of not existing, afraid of what I got taught, afraid of, of not being loved or accepted, of not belonging. Lots of fears that pushed me to do things that maybe I look back on and regret. But that doesn't mean that I haven't, I've gotten here, I've gotten to this place now because I'm ready to be at this place. Because here's the real deal. The river has always been carrying me. I just didn't know it. My psyche has always been leaning toward wholeness. It has always been getting me to this place where I'm at. And while, you know, my my judging self, the identity, might be hard on me for still having some issues with a certain area in my life, that doesn't mean that that's accurate. But I can certainly certainly sit back in a state of meditation and, and observe that identity judging harshly. And go, oh, okay, that's what that does. Without judging it for doing that either. So we can get into the observer mode. And in the observer mode, we become more conscious of who we are. Why? Because we've let go of the duality trans state for just a minute. Long enough to go, oh, who am I now? 
and who we are begins to come forward. Why? Because it has an energy all of its own. It has not been shut down. It may have been shut out of our conscious awareness, but it's been carrying us all along. I mean, when you think about it, why does your heart keep beating all day, every day? Why do you keep breathing in and out? There's something in there that wants to do that, or you wouldn't be doing it. It's an involuntary thing that happens out of our physicality and our biology, but also out of our psychology and our spirituality, all in combination. And so there's somebody in there who's alive, and maybe you don't even know who that is because you're living out of an altered state of consciousness called an identity. And the truer state of consciousness would be to live out of your authentic self. Finding that is a journey. I've written a book about that called Restoring My Soul, uh, a workbook for finding and living the authentic self. You can find that book on Amazon.com and you can work in its pages in very specific ways, very uh, experiential exercises that you can use to get more and more in touch with who you are as an authentic person. That would be the truest state of consciousness. So that's all we have for today. Uh, we'll be back next week, and uh, we're going to be back on the New Year as well. So if I don't talk to you before Christmas, Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, happy holidays. And um, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.